Good morning, Cowboy Junction. I said good morning. Man, this is the day that the Lord has made. You should be excited about it. Amen. So first of all, let me just uh, introduce myself. My name is Pastor Mondo. I am currently the youth pastor and young adults pastor here at Cowboy Junction Church. So it's an honor to be uh, here this morning. Do not adjust your contrast if you're viewing online. I am not Pastor Ty. And so um, he will be back next Sunday. They are out of town. So they love you. They miss you, Pastor Ty and Heather do. And so we want to welcome all our online listeners. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us. And also, if you're a first-time guest, we welcome you. We know there's many great churches in our community that you can attend, and you chose to visit us. So we're all always thankful for that. Um, I always want to thank uh, my wife and my kids. They're such an amazing support system uh, for what we do for God, and obviously just thanking God for the opportunity of this calling. Amen? So I was praying about you guys, what I would present to you um, for today's message. And it seemed to me that it didn't come, uh, it, it came very quickly from the last time that I spoke on this platform about six months ago. And so I've kind of just been working on it and working on it. But I had a little quiz for you this morning and wanted to ask is how many, uh, who would say they remember the title of the last time that I preached? Mm. Oh, I got a prize. All right. Wow, somebody got it first service. It is. All right. So I saw two hands. And so are you guys married or something? I'm just kidding. Here, I got a prize for you, man. I got a gift. So this is some extreme dark chocolate. All right. And so the reason that I give dark chocolate, y'all, is because did you know that those that consume dark chocolate over regular chocolate experience better moods? You do. And so I thought, since you guessed the spirit of happiness, you should be happy. <laughs> but it will expire. The dark chocolate and the happiness. Okay? Um, I, I wanted to present you with that. So I thought... Um, I didn't want to leave you with the last message of the pursuit of happiness um, in a sense of incompleteness. I wanted to shift to another side of the pursuit of happiness. As a matter of fact, one of my final points from that message, the pursuit of happiness, was this. God hasn't called us to be happy. He has called us to be holy. Now, I didn't say God doesn't want you to be happy. I'm just simply saying that's not what he's called us to. Amen? So I thought today's message would be fit to call it the pursuit of holiness. And so I'm going to present some scripture this morning. This is my disclaimer, by the way. I'm going to present some scripture to you this morning that's going to create some tension in the room. All right? It could make you uncomfortable. Don't you really just love disclaimers? Because it's like, at least you told me and you didn't blindside me. Two, it can make you dig a little deeper into you. And the third one is, it could make it seem like you're feeling conviction. Okay? My hope and believe this morning is that you will be sharpened in your faith. 
that you would find the revelation within you that builds your faith in God. And the third one is to experience conviction that leads to correction to pursue holiness. That's what I hope it does. So let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this opportunity to step on this platform and to hear, Holy Spirit, what you would have me to say. Nothing of myself. I pray right now that your presence just consume this place, consume this room, consume the hearts, Father God. And I thank you for the revelation word that however it comes out from me, you, Holy Spirit, take care of the heart and the connection to bring understanding to this word. It's in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so what is holiness? That's a question. As I entered into this message, I wanted to ask myself that very thing. What is holiness? Is it a set of rules of do's and don'ts? Is it avoiding sin? Or is it making sure that your gooder is better than your batter? Sorry, teachers, I know better, okay? But is it these three things? And so I wanted to open up with the scripture that I told you. Remember, disclaimer, it's going to bring a little bit of tension. But how many of you know that when you create tension, it brings attention? Amen? So I want you to go to 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to read beginning in verse 4. And this is what it says. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's pretty easy. That's not hard to understand, right? Verse 5 says, And you know that he who was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin, right? So, he was manifested, who was he, Jesus, to take away our sins, and in him there was no sin and there is no sin. And so whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. And there's the tension. Now, I want to go back to verse 4. Because in verse 4, it says, lawlessness is sin. Now, in the Greek, lawlessness means a transgression. It means a violation of a code. It means wickedness. It means inequity. It means unrighteousness. So lawlessness is as sin, and sin is as lawlessness, and, it, and that makes us unrighteous. When you are right standing with God, you are righteous. We are righteous. Amen? And so I just wanted to explain in this what we're looking at. So again, verse 5, and you know that he was manifested, right? 6 says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. All right then. So what are you telling us here in the book of first John like whoa did you just yep whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him hmm I'm being silent right now because that's how I was like when I was really reading into this like that's crazy y'all but wait 
it gets better. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. It's getting personal. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Check out 9 and 10. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Let's leave 9 and 10 up here for a little bit. All right. Y'all, this is some hard stuff. It says in verse 10 that the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You know what that means? It means it's evident. There's no secret about who is who. That's what that word manifest means. Okay, let's take that off. Let me take you to a story. You can feel the tension in the room. Let me just... So I was looking into this story that is well-known, and it's, it's based on a novel by Robert Louis Stevenson, and the novel is The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I was interested, I, I know the concept of the movie, but I can honestly say, like, have I ever really watched this movie? And so as I went to go look to see about this movie, I didn't want the current uh, pizzazz of Hollywood and what they implement. I wanted something old school throwback. So I went all the way to the 1920s. Way on back, y'all. And on YouTube, I found this silent movie on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I didn't know. I'm thinking the same thing. How could you do that, right? Because it's just a silent movie. It's got the music. Every now and then you'll get a phrase or words. And so I wasn't sure how I'd do with it, but I know I'd do a lot better than I would with the novel. And so I'm watching, and I'm so intrigued, and I'm so connected, and I'm watching this young, tall, handsome physician from London, and he's an advocate for good people, and he loves helping people, and he helps those that are less fortunate. And as he's having this dialogue, right, with uh, one of his colleagues, his colleague notices, like, he's gone all the time. He's always helping people, and he's never, you know, at their gatherings. And his colleague says, in devoting yourself to others, aren't you neglecting your own life? And Dr. Jekyll says, is it by serving others that one develops oneself? And the colleague says, which self are you talking about? A man has two, and as he has two hands, because I use my right hand, should I never use my left? Your strong self, your strong self fears nothing. It is the weak version of you that is afraid of the experience. So in this, Dr. Jekyll begins to experiment and makes this concoction. 
that he believes he's infatuated with good and evil. And then he believes that, well, if I take this, then maybe I can create someone else that can indulge in these other things while it doesn't have to be me. And so therefore comes Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde really and Dr. Jekyll are the same person, but they're completely transformed in the way they look. So Dr. Jekyll sets this up really good, y'all. He tells his colleagues like, hey, a friend of mine is going to come and his name is Mr. Hyde and he's gonna be around. So if you see him around, he's gonna be staying at my place. And he begins to then indulge in every evil that he desires. And even in the novel, um, th there's a point that was made that he's walking down the sidewalk and he sees this little girl and he pushes her down and he steps on her. And then later, he murders one of his colleagues as Mr. Hyde. But what he begins to experience is that little by little, he is having less control and he is becoming addicted to this potion that turns him into Mr. Hyde. And he realizes that the only way he can gain control is by taking this poison and killing Mr. Hyde. The problem with that is that he will also kill Dr. Jekyll. And at the end, he takes a poison. The officers come in and they see him there. And the officer makes the statement and he says, it looks like Mr. Hyde has killed Dr. Jekyll. One of the last phrases in that silent film was this. Man is not truly one, but truly two. In each of us, two natures are at war, the good and the bad. And the statement is right, but it's not quite right. The statement appears to be true, but it's not quite true. See, because a person does not have two natures, they have one nature. The one nature is our sinful nature. The other part of you is spirit. And what I want you to acknowledge this morning is when I talk about the world or worldly things, know that what I'm saying is things that are contrary to God, things that are opposed to the word of God, things that are against what God is against. So it's contrary. When you hear the word worldly, that's what that means. And so the world, right? is attempting to get you to compromise your faith and your moral righteousness. That's what the world's trying to do. The world isn't trying to convert you suddenly, but rather steadily. Because as believers, we only have one nature. Satan delivers deceit in doses of what your flesh desires. So what is your flesh? We know that it is our sinful nature. Now, there's a well-known man in the Bible that struggled with this. And his name was the Apostle Paul. Now, 
at this part, I really want you to focus on this part of the message. I really want you to lean in and pay attention because this is a part where, you know when somebody comes into a movie and they're like, they come into the middle of the movie. It's like, what's happening? Why did they say that? Where are they going? What are they doing? You're like, bro, you should have been here earlier. But there's certain movies that if you don't watch from the very beginning, you're completely lost. And this is a part of the message where I really need you to lean in to what the Holy Spirit is telling you because I'm going to be using certain words and phrases and mannerisms, but the Holy Spirit wants to reveal it to your heart. And he wants to make that transfer complete. So by that, let's start by going to Romans chapter 7. Are we good? Give me an amen. Amen. All right. So Romans chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 1. Let's go 1 through 6. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law only applies while a person is living? For example... When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and does not commit adultery when she marries. All right, let me just pause right there because I want you, I know how some of you think, and you're off in little rabbit trails about marriage. And that's not what this is about. (laughs) All right? Stay focused, people. All right, here we go. Verse 4. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. See, even Paul is saying, That's not the point. I'm not trying to talk to you about marriage right now. I will talk to you about marriage in some other areas, but right now, I'm talking to you about the law. And he says, you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Verse 5, when we were controlled by our old nature... Sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. We still good? So it's pretty simple, right? If you're married, your spouse, there's marital law that you are to follow according to the law, but if one of your spouses passes away, then you are no longer bound by that marital law because there's no one to be married to. Does that make sense? And so what Paul is trying to tell us here about the law of the Old Testament is he's saying you are no longer married to that. But why is he telling us that? Well, let's read in verse 7 through 13. Well then... Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there was no law, sin would, have, would not have that power. 
At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. And I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. And its commands are holy and right and good. And verse 13, but how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So I'm just like, okay, break it down for me, Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is saying is, the law came, and the law we already know is good, it's holy, and it's right. Paul's established that about the law. But when he saw that the law came up, it aroused or activated his sin, meaning that, well, I was coveting, and then something told me not to covet, but when it told me not to covet, now I want to covet more. And if you're thinking like I'm thinking, it's kind of like, if it ain't broke, God, don't fix it. Why would you bring the law to activate my sin? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But that's just the point. Is in what we thought was right, we were walking in our brokenness. Let me give you an example. I play pickleball, y'all. Don't judge, okay? Um, I, can't high, I can't jump as high as I used to, and so I don't play basketball anymore, so I play pickleball. But in playing pickleball, I've, you know, I started playing, and we were just kind of messing around, and they started to get a little bit serious about the rules. And, and we're playing in this game of doubles, and doubles is definitely different than singles. But as we're playing doubles, we're playing these two gentlemen. One of the gentlemen there, I'm pretty sure invented pickleball, all right? Like, this guy's been playing for ages. He's really, really good. And so we're playing pickleball, and we're, we're beating these guys. And I'm like, man, I knew I was competitive. I knew I could do good. And so we're beating them by, like, four points. And in the middle of that game, he comes and he says, he comes up to the net, and he says, I don't think you can serve the ball like that. And I said, what do you mean? Like, as long as I stay under, like, waist level and under, like, you can't serve the ball overhand in pickleball. It has to be waist or under when you serve the ball. And I said, and he goes, no, 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 that's right. But when you're serving, you're forcing the ball into the ground and then hitting it. And that's against the rules. <laughs> Stupid rule. Come on. Like, what, how does he make a difference? I'm still serving. He goes, I'm pretty sure. He was really humble about it, right? He said, I'm pretty sure that's a rule. I knew he knew exactly that's what was the rule was, but he was being nice to me. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that's the rule. So I'm like, okay, no worries. You waited till we were up by four to tell me this rule, but that's fine, okay? So I spend the rest of the game, like, terrible. I'm in my head. I can't do this. And he says, what you can do, okay, he says, what you're allowed to do is drop the ball. 
You can't force it down, but you can drop it. I know, stupid rule, right? This is what I told you, I'm telling you. And so in that, I was like, okay, so now I'm just spending my time trying to adjust the rhythm of how I hit the ball and, and, and the control that I have. And now I'm mad at this rule. I'm so mad at the rule, y'all, because it took me adjusting to the rule. So I had to make a decision. Do I continue, because of the rule, do I continue in my wrong and be disqualified? Or do I make the adjustment and follow the rule and be qualified? And so I thought that the rule was stupid, but then I realized that the rule allows me to be qualified to continue. So the law actually activated my sin. So the law, is it good for me? We know it's good for me. We know it's good for us. But the law helped me acknowledge what I was, what I was doing was sin. The law helped me in when I was operating in this sin, I didn't know that it was sin, and then I saw the law, and it's like, oh, that's wrong. You can't do that. Do not enter. I want to go in. Do not touch. I'm going to touch it. And it seems like Paul was realizing that the law was good, was holy, but he was realizing that it was activating our sin. And all the law was doing is acknowledging our wrong, but was not saving us. Let's look at verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for the law is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Can I share with you that this is a place that I lived for many, many, many years. This is the conclusion that I came to. This phrase right here is I'm only human, right? I was like, this sinful nature is going to be part of my life until I'm face-to-face -face with my creator. Just is what it is. And after all, right, Pastor Mondo, nobody's perfect. Is that true? It is true. I mean, apart from God, and apart from Jesus, us, we're not perfect. And don't, doesn't the Bible say that we all fall short of the glory of God? It does. And doesn't the Bible say that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? 1 John 1 through 10. Absolutely. It says all those things. And what I want you to realize is that as those are true, we're going to see something and how they relate to our relationship with God. So let's keep reading. Right here, let's go to Romans 7, and we're going to go 15 through 19. Here we go. I don't really understand myself. 
For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this just shows that I agree that the law is good, right? I'm mad at myself for doing the wrong thing, the thing, the wrong sin, sin thing. I'm going to get that right. To do the wrong thing, I'm mad at myself. But because I'm mad at myself, then I recognize that what I'm doing is wrong. So that's a good thing. If you're doing something wrong and you don't acknowledge it's wrong, that's not a good thing. But acknowledging you're wrong means, hey, the law is good because it's labeling that this is sin, that this is right, and this is wrong. You with me? What verse are we in then? I'm just kidding. Verse 16. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. Verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anyone relate this morning? Are you with me? Can anyone feel like, I'm trying to live my life for Jesus, and I'm trying to live this good life and right standing with God, and I feel like every time that I do it, I just fall flat on my face, and I mess up again. Am I in the right room? Can I get a witness? <laughs> Is there anyone in here that is trying to live your life for God, and you just say, it's too hard? And then we go back to, well, nobody's perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. If I say I don't have sin, then I'm deceiving myself. So I, I'm just doing the best that I can. Let's go to verse 20 and 24, through 24. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by my sin and death? Have you ever felt this way? I am a horrible example of what a believer should talk like, act like, be like, and who's going to free me from this dominated, where I'm dominated by sin and death. Well, verse 25 is going to tell us that, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord, so you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So the question is, does it end here? The question is, so I have grace because of Jesus, right? And I'm just 
going to have to put up with my sinful nature until Jesus comes back. I was conflicted in my spirit because I kept going back to nobody's perfect. I kept going back. And what I realized that I was going back to, I was going back to the old way of doing the law, which was works. I gotta do better. I gotta serve more. I gotta volunteer more. I gotta read more because I've done wrong and now I'm trying to balance this wrong by doing this right and that's law. That's what you can do, not what he did. So where do we go from here? What really happens now? So now, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For those that are in him are empowered by the life-giving spirit that dwells in them that has power over the power of sin and death. Did you realize that the, this is, the law of Moses could not do this? The law of Moses only had the ability to show you what your sin was, but it didn't have the power to save you from it. And so Paul says, we got to divorce that and we got to marry into the spirit. We got to marry into Christ because even though that's acknowledging you're wrong, it can't save you from that. And so what God did is he sent his son in a body like our bodies. And by sending his son, this is what he said, I declare by my son Jesus that the control that sin once had over you no longer has control over you. And the way that he did it was providing his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so the just requirement of the law would be fulfilled for us. For us who no longer follow a sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. Because those who are dominated by their sinful nature, they think on sinful things. But those who are dominated by the Spirit and by the Holy Spirit, please the Spirit. So if you're thinking of the sin, you're going to sin. If you're thinking on the things of God, you're going to please the Spirit. Amen? For the sinful nature is always hostile against God and never did obey God's law, and it never will. It never will. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living within you. And remember, 1 John told us 
that unless you belong to Christ, the Spirit of God living in them do not belong to him at all. you got to have the Spirit of Christ. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you, giving you power over sin. Therefore, Cowboy Junction Church, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Did you realize that you have no obligation to sin? Has anyone ever told you that you're not obligated to sin anymore? Wait, but but nobody's perfect. <sighs> You're going back to works. For if you live by its dictates, talking about sin, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you want to know, I just read to you Romans 8, 1 through 12. And now, you ever have someone give you directions and say, hey, how do I get here? And they're giving you these directions. And, and, and it's like you go here and you go there and you go this far. And if you see this, you turn here. And it's like, okay. So what the Holy Spirit told me this morning is this was my responsibility to you is to give you directions. I'm not hopping in the car with you. I'm not going home with you. I'm not going to live this life for you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But he said, just give them the direction that they're not obligated to their sinful nature anymore and the urges that it brings. You see, he had to remove us from the law because the law couldn't save you, but he needed to, we needed saving. So he sent his son, Jesus, to save us. And when you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit. Because temptations are going to walk away and I don't want to be led into those. Because my sinful nature is going to try to rise up, but I've already acknowledged that it cannot control me. Lord, I don't have anything pressing today. I don't have a big decision to make. I don't have anything hard pressing against me right now, but today I just want to declare that I give this day with you because I know that apart from you, I will fail. And you don't have to wake up in the morning and have anything pressing for a deep prayer, just acknowledging I need you today to guide me so when that temptation comes, I will see the way of escape that you provided for me and I'm going to take it. And then when noon comes around, I might need you again. Three o'clock, I might need you again. When that co-worker talks to me like that, I'm going to need you again. I'm going to need you again, and I'm going to need you, and I'm going to need you. But for some reason, we've stayed at this process of where we turn on our light bulb and we're set for life. And you are. 
But you know that salvation is a three-step process? Did you know that the first thing to salvation is to acknowledge that something is wrong? To acknowledge your sin. You want to know for the Bible that says, the Word of God that says, for we all fall short of the glory of God. The Word of God that says, the person that says they have no sin is deceived and the truth is not in them. Because at one point in time in your life, you needed salvation. You needed to acknowledge your wrong. And so therefore, what did Jesus come to the earth for? Why did God send his son? So that we could be delivered to the very thing that we want to run back into? That's what he paid for. I've only heard one version of the prodigal son. The second thing, one is you acknowledge that something is wrong. Two is you receive forgiveness from the forgiver, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the second part. Three is you continue in Christ's demands. It's never a suggestion. That's the process. Acknowledge you're wrong. Receive forgiveness. Did he say, go do this, 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 and this, and this, and I will forgive you? Is that what the word says? No, it says, receive forgiveness. And then continue walking in the ways of Christ. But what if I mess up? But what if I cuss? Then I'm going to have to just take you back to the scripture that says, those who think of the things of the sinful nature will... Today is a celebration day because somebody come in and told you, hey, this is the rule and this is what, keep, this is what keeps you qualified. You guys only had to hear it once. I have been looking at this and looking at this and saying, but how, but how, but how? You know what that pertains to? What I can do not what he has done. Don't think about the conviction or the condemnation because that's not in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemnation, that's not of God. Conviction is of God and conviction always drives us to holiness. And the pursuit of his holiness is this very thing is that you no longer have to be controlled by the urges of your sinful nature. It is a Choice. So choose Jesus. Choose his ways. The worship team is going to come out and they're going to play a song. And this is your opportunity to stand. And it's simple to get right with God. His grace has provided that for us already to get right with him. When, uh, let me leave you with not a point, but maybe a question. And this is something that I want you to meditate on for yourself, because after all, relationship is personal. And it's this question. If the mannerisms of my Christian life don't appear much different than those of my worldly life, 
What exactly did Jesus do? And it's not so much that sin is holding on to you, it's that we're holding on to sin. But today is a day of repentance. Today is a day of deliverance. Today, you didn't hear sobbing things. You heard the good news. It's good news. Stand to your feet. Will you receive it by faith? Amen.